At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, it is me, your bruiser, Holden. Welcome to the Portal episode. Space! I love it out of space. It's great. It's a infinite void. Space, 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 space. Oh no, that was that's the annoying core. Hold on, let me. No, no, we need those like two thousands <laughs> like sincere nerd vibes. Hold on, this was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Stop making me too Aperture sultry. I feel like sultry every year. We do what we oh must goodness. because we can. I'm turning into William Shatner in real time. The cake is a lie, huh? Am oh, I accepted by it's, you, it's, internet? It's, it's can I be accepted funny. by the internet? It's even funnier than I remember just saying the phrase, the cake is a lie. Look, eye rolling at the phrase, the cake is a lie. Aside, holy shit, Jake! Portal's a great fucking game, man. It is Damn. a video game ass video game. Both and of them, Portal One and Portal Two, which I rolled immediately into Portal Two upon beating Portal One and lost no speed, mm-hmm. like full, fully and great and fully engaged, fully engorged. Mm-hmm. Everything was happening at once, and I cannot. I just love that in 2023. I pick those games up again, and they are still a hundred percent, no, like almost flawless bangers. It's really wild, man. It's really wild. There's so much within, like, if you know, if you're just going to talk about why Portal was so revolutionary, why it's so beloved, why the franchise still has this, just you know, you can still walk into one of those GameStop slash Think Geek stores that are surviving and buy a cake is a lie t-shirt or just like some mashup where like Deadpool's coming out through a portal t-shirt. Like there's so much that this game did right that just completely surprised people and kind of opened people's brains into what you can actually do with the medium of video games. And I think uh, what's amazing about the story is so much of those like insanely brilliant genius level moves were just very practical compromises to their unique constraints that they had putting this game together under a tight deadline under, uh, you know, just trying to make do with relatively small teams. 
But uh, Jake, I feel like you could copy and paste what you just said and insert it into so many episodes about video games. Sometimes we got creative. We got like genius weirdos with infinite budgets that are just free to like do their Wagnerian psychopomp. But for the most part, the secret to every sauce, including literally the other episode we're going to be recording tomorrow because we're a little backed up because of tour <laughs> uh, uh, about the Saw franchise, that first movie also, it's literally the, the it's, it's as good as it is because of the constraints they had, what, what the situation they were in, the, the kind of movie they were able to make. And it's the same thing with Portal. It's the same thing with Resident Evil. It's the same thing with Mega Man. There's so many instances of this. Like the, the big secret is get hired at a big video game <laughs> company or movies or get, a, get yeah. a big movie studio to give you a very small budget that you have to scrap together mm-hmm. all the resources you have and come up with all these workarounds because of money and time. And then out of that will come the thing that changes your life. You know, it's really kind of amazing the pattern I've now seen doing this show for years now. I mean, that is exactly how shit happens that is special and that can hopefully move the needle. Also key, having uh, a weird pitch meeting with uh, a big muckety muck that for some reason likes the cut of your jib. Yeah, you gotta have you know, some rich weirdo. They have to be super weird. They have to have like a knife collection, let's mm-hmm. say, in their office or something like that. And uh, yeah, and then you come in and you're like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Oh, and he goes, you know what? I like that energy. That shit show energy is exactly the kind of bullshit I'm looking for. So I think there's a lot of reasons why Portal was such a breakout hit. Um, one of the, th- and, uh, and then the sequel portal Two, not only like delivered on the hype that had built on the first one, but then like catapulted it into this now immortal mm-hmm. franchise left in valves, weird, no third uh, chapters, uh, purgatory hole. But, uh, number one, it might be, I, I mean, obviously, obviously someone could point this out to me and find like exceptions to this, but one of the first like real time first person style sh- games where you are like navigating from a first person perspective with a crosshair and a blaster of some kind that is not violent in any you are not clicking heads you are not getting pentakills it is like you are for the most part allowed to go at it at your own pace uh-huh except for a few timed sections and even then those are like a little bit stressful but not like it's not the entire game really uh, so like there's so many times you're trying to show people like a cool video game you're interested in or to get them interested in video games. And as soon as the controller or the mouse is in their hands, they just like want to vomit. Like everything is just so, you know, there's like a demon going like, like coming at them and they, you know, but portal is just about like taking stock of your surroundings, like managing space and time. And also, like, there's no real macho valor to anything. It uh-huh. is a really universal experience. You wouldn't even know that your character, Chell, is a woman if you didn't just see, like, one floaty ponytail within the first second of, like, opening the first portal. Right. And you, and it doesn't matter. And, and like, even that you've got, like, a sassy robot lady 
pat being all passive aggressive with you. And then like pretty much the only other voice besides her, uh, she does the same voice for the turrets. The toy- turrets are even like softer mm-hmm. and even more like defense like they seem all like apologetic yeah they're so murderous and they're just like don't hurt me please don't hurt i'm different yeah it it really was such a completely different experience all told and when did you first let's get into the gutch on this Uh, i definitely experienced this for the first time living in new york city uh playing it on an orange box uh, uh, out of the orange box disc on an Xbox 360 via uh, my roommate, you know? And I remember playing through all of Half-Life 2 and, like, finally getting to have that experience. But then having this other smaller game almost outshine the legendary, heavily touted, you know, Half-Life 2 incredible, you know, uh, an incredible video game experience. And then just have this other, be like, oh, I'll try this other little guy. And then being so blown away at, by it that it almost outshined Half-Life 2. It's really kind of incredible, that orange box. It can't be uh, overstated enough, honestly. People don't remember this time period in video games. I will say... If we're talking about what has had the greatest lasting influence on society as a whole, Team Fortress 2, believe it or not, has like never went away. It has given birth to countless memes, even fucking, you know, as we as we are talking right now, what are all the Gen Zers watching? Fucking Skibbity Toilet, which literally has a G-Man in a toilet and a bunch of other models from TF2, like source. It's made How in source filmmaker. How dare you bring up Skibbity Toilet in this episode, Jake? We're it's- talking about the legacy of the Orange Box. <laughs> like it's in our fucking faces every day. This weird little product that came out of 2007. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I never touched the orange box. I never really uh, played Half-Life 2 until much, much, much later in my adulthood. And the only thing I ever really, this is how deep of a weird like zone I was nerd-wise. I was more excited about a new Jonathan Colton song when Portal came ah. out than I was about the game itself. Obviously, I was religiously reading all sorts of shitty web comics at the time, Penny Arcade, Control Alt Delete, uh, a, a million ones that were all just called Girl and Gaming, uh-huh. Gaming and Game Dudes, or whatever. Uh, and so the references were everywhere. The cake is a lie. The portal gun was everywhere. Thinkgeek.com started sh- blasting out like little desktop companion cubes and little turrets that you plug into a USB port. But I definitely did not play portal until like probably must be when like the age of the steam sale became really huge Uh where like valve and all sorts of games would just like dump like older hit titles for like two bucks a pop had portal 2 been out when you played it yeah 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 by that point portal 2 i mean by the by the time portal 2 came out i had played portal 1 but it's just the reverberations were felt instantly just being part of like the anime scene and the webcomic scene and like all that shit. It just was like just a fucking thundercrack that just immediately took hold of everybody. And this is the thing, too, about Portal 2. I wish I could know in that moment how special it was now after all these years of video game releases. That game came out, so Portal I I enjoyed kind of like you in retrospect, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I enjoyed it well after it had been established as a great game on an orange box, well after the Xbox 360 had been out and the orange box had been out. So I felt like I was playing something from the past. But I got to watch Portal Portal 2 come out in real time, 
And for an, such a rare instance, I remember even reading a Reddit post, like, and I feel like this was early on in my interaction with Reddit, even, where um, there was a post being like, I've already beaten it. I stayed up all night. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> and literally just like not seeing a single negative thing about this game. This game, I don't know if there's ever been a game better received with as much hype as it had than Portal 2. It fucking came out and and hit like a like lightning. Like everybody was like get this game immediately. This is the most fulfilling sequel. <laughs> is there has there ever been a more fulfilling sequel with that much hype around it? Everybody was fucking going crazy for Portal 2 coming out. It's rare, but you know, a, a GTA 5 sure. uh, Tears of the Kingdom. It happens. But, but man, it is a rare and special thing. I feel like with Tears, I saw multiple posts being like, I don't get it. I just can't get into it. You know, like Portal 2, I didn't see a single negative thing about that game. And I would have to agree when it comes to like perfect video game experiences, Portal and Portal 2 really come, in my opinion, the closest to achieving like a universally enjoyed video game experience. Uh, because just the it's just that perfect combination of the writing is there, the puzzles, the mechanics, all of that is there. Because of how simple the layout is of the labs and everything, the graphics are there even in Portal 1 because it's a pretty clean environment and they did that on purpose, right? That's all there. And then the most important thing for video games specifically, or at least the most unique thing to video games specifically, is having that uh, storytelling and like environmental communication happen really like seamlessly and subtly to, where, to the point where everything is like incredibly intuitive. You're learning story stuff that way. You're solving puzzles that way. I mean, it really, to me, is I look towards it and when it comes to, like, what is, like, the ultimate kind of seamless video game experience? And even stuff like Shadow of the Colossus, I think you go back and play it and certain things about it feel a little dated. Mm -hmm. Just, like, the way the gameplay feels, the controller feels. Again, I revisited Portal 1 and 2, and I was so thrilled that enough time had passed for me to, like, re-experience these games having really forgotten a lot of the puzzles obviously I flew through it a lot mm -hmm. faster than the first time I did it like because fundamentally I understand how portals work and how some of the physics work but like the are you saying now you were thinking with portals yes I, I totally think with portals now and with cubes <laughs> but let's be honest I've been solving that Rubik's Cube left and right since we did the episode so yeah like but like the fact that I replayed Portal 1 and now I'm in the middle of Portal 2, I literally dropped the all the modern games I'm playing, I dropped them very quickly, put them on hold so I could play Portal 1 and 2 again, which I, I didn't want to play the old games once I started playing Portal 1 and 2 again. And, and the fact that all of that shit holds up, all of it does. It feels great still, it looks great still. And and then Portal 2 is such a step up in terms of like voice acting and all the Steven Merchant stuff, all the there's so many amazing comedy moments that and then that's really hard to pull off in a game in general comedy. That's so hard to pull off. I'm just so floored by it. like this has been such a fun revisit for me, uh, for sure, for an episode. Like what what a great time these fucking games are. Not only are they perfect little chunks of gameplay, but like you can be you can be done with them. You can put them down uh -huh. after like a day and a half. Yep. Or Portal 1, you can do in a, like for the first time without any like knowledge, barely an afternoon. Mm -hmm. With knowledge, you can just blow through it within an hour just to like for old time's sake. It's so just refreshing 
and just says everything it needs to say and then just takes a bow. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. And then they, they, it's so hard to do this. They like did everything in a sequel that they needed to do. They stepped everything up. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the co-op in the sequel is like so unnecessary. Like oh. they, all they needed to do was that amazing first person story mode. But then they add this entire other co-op mode that's two times the length of the original portal on its own. And it's brilliant. It's like incredible. Like, like it's an amazing, it's so much more interesting and challenging to have two people with portal guns like helping each other get through environments. I, it it really is. I'm glad we're doing an episode on it on its own. And yes, I will also acknowledge we did a Valve episode. It weirdly cuts off like halfway through. We're we're in the process, I think, of like figuring out how to like rectify that. But we might just have to tell the story of Valve by specifically doing certain episodes to tell the story of Valve. Because or we can just wait till Valve releases a chapter three to any of its major franchises. <laughs> I don't know if I want Portal to get a Portal three though, because like, where do they go from? I mean, sure, they can go places, but. To me, I'm like, man, this is so perfect. And sometimes I do want, I legitimately do not want more. Well, or I at least want them to like get out when the getting's good. So the I, truth I, of the matter is they launched an entire genre of environmental 3D puzzle solving games. Yeah. Everything from Jonathan Blows the Witness to Superliminal to just uh, Quantum Conundrum. Like now, if you go on itch.io or Steam, there's like a new portal, like almost every month that you could sink your teeth into. Yeah, totally. It's incredible, man. So here we go. It's Portal, a puzzle platform game developed and published by Valve in 2007 with a sequel released in 2011. In the game, one wields a gun whose sole purpose is to create portals, which one must use to overcome obstacles. So before we get to Portal, we need to set the stage with Valve. Valve is founded in 1996 by former Microsoft employees Gabe Newell and Mike Harrington. At Microsoft, Newell developed Windows software and happened to get to work on the Windows 95 port of Doom. And when he decided to strike out on his own and develop his own games, he utilized his working relationship with id and their Quake engine, and they modified that engine to create their own Gold Source engine, which is what they used to make their first game in 2004. Uh, This is an engine, by the way, is later replaced with uh, just called the Source engine, which is what we'll see in the beginning, like when we load up uh, Portal. Uh, That first game was, of course, Half-Life. Released in 1998, the first-person shooter was a big hit for the company out the gate. Its sequel would be widely acclaimed for its physics engine, and this first game would be notable for pushing the medium forward in terms of storytelling and realism. Uh, And after this, they set out to acquire other strong game developers and put the money and resources behind them to make incredible games. The first was a group of Quake modders. Uh, They had made a team-based competitive online shooter called... Team Fortress, which released in 1999, and then a group of Half-Life modders. They pull them in, and those guys are responsible for another team-based shooter called Counter-Strike. You might have heard of those. Might have heard of those. In 2002, they released the digital storefront Steam, which, um, you know, just fundamentally changed the way we like purchase games, the marketplace, especially on the PC. Uh, Then Half-Life 2 came out in 2004. This cements Valve as one of the strongest development and publishing houses of all time. That's where we're at when Portal comes into play. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. 
Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The year after Half-Life 2 is released, Valve discovers a group of students at the DigiPen Institute of Technology who are working on an interesting game. The school was founded in 1988. By the way, it was initially a school for teaching computer science, uh, DigiPen Institute, that is, um, and uh, animation, and eventually it moved to video game development as well, even partnering with Nintendo in the mid-90s. So this is like one of those colleges that was on the forefront of teaching game development. Well, literally, uh, DigiPen was located in Washington across the street from the headquarters of Nintendo of America. So, like, any burgeoning game dev during this, like, kind of very emergent moment for the industry that, like, grew up playing Nintendo heard about this connection. And DigiPen was kind of the go-to school for people that really cared about games. And, like, it was the game school for people that grew up playing video games, not just, like, a, a random computer science department that like happened to you know have a games program right right exactly uh so there was a particular group of developers that formed within the school they named themselves nuclear monkey software <laughs> and this was their last big project designer kim swift said as part of the curriculum each year we had to form teams and create a game from scratch using our own code and artwork the requirements for the games range from a text-based game for our freshman year to a fully 3D game with simulated physics for our senior year. For our final game project, seven of us got together and created a game called Narbacular Drop. For this project, the team wanted to make something simple and unique. According to Swift... Simple because from our previous school projects, we learned that there are never enough hours in the day to do what you'd like. Unique because we figured we could get more attention for a new idea. And since we were in school, there was no risk in trying out an original concept. Yes, this amounted in the idea of creating portals to traverse maps. So this is a funny, uh, you can find footage of this. You can like maybe find on archive.org a copy of this you can play for yourself. But it's um, the name Narbacular was chosen by uh, the one of the team. Uh, I believe it was Jeet Barnett, who uh, just literally was doing Google searches for nonsense words that didn't have any search results. And Narbacular was one that had zero. So they were like, we will be the only thing called Narbacular. Uh, the, it bears zero resemblance to uh, Portal as we know it and love it. The uh, portals themselves, an orange door and a blue door, uh, have a freaky demon mouth. And your player character was lovingly called Princess No Knees because she is unable to jump and can only travel via these demon mouth portals. 
Um, there's entire segments where you're riding on lava turtles. And the, yes, the entire thing has this very grimy, dungeony appearance. Again, this is a student project. This was, you know, done for as little time as possible. You know, they had other homework to work on. This was just one of many projects coming out of that senior class at DigiPen. But one of the big kind of uh, end of year things is a student game festival where all the projects are on full display. And uh, there's tons of game companies around. Valve is around. Nintendo's around. You're not that far from Silicon Valley. So, like, you know, a lot of people have a lot writing on these presentations. And uh, according to my sources, it was uh, Robin Walker, who was uh, one of the original Team Fortress guys who had been brought on to develop Team Fortress Classic and then Team Fortress 2, was the only one in terms of industry people that stopped by their booth. And he immediately tore it to shreds. He was like, this looks like Quake. <laughs> this uh, like this portal's glitching out. This is like, like he just immediately just pointed out a bunch of flaws, left his business card, and then fucked off. And apparently the entire team had no other contacts throughout the entire session. And it was uh, decided that, like, with nothing else to go on, they would call Robin and ask him, hey, do you have any more notes? Um, we were just like, thank you for your feedback. We'd love to just, like, have a deeper talk. Or if you have anything else you'd like to share with us, it would mean the world to us. And Robin said, you know what? Take your game. Bring it on over to Valve. I'd like, I want to show it to a couple people. And uh, it was... Uh, Kim Swift and a couple other people from the Nuclear Monkey team. Yeah, I've got the I've I've got the quote right here. We ecstatically accepted, and the following week we found ourselves in one of the conference rooms at Valve with Gabe Newell sitting with rapt attention on a couch. About he was supposedly the last person to enter the room. Wow! Like yeah. they were just like it was like oh Robin's here. Oh, he brought a couple of people. Oh, that's weird. More people are showing up. <laughs> oh, this whole conference room is full. And, oh, fuck. That's Gabe. And at this point, Gabe Newell's Gabe Newell, right? Because he is yeah, one yeah. of the He's few, already Gabin. He is one of the very few, like, actual personalities in game development that, like, is are is generally known. You yeah. know, you've got, like, him, Notch, and, like, you know, fucking Cormac or whatever. Uh, or not Cormac. Um, Carmack. Like, Carmack, yeah, John Carmack. And John Romero. And oh please. He's you're about to make you bitch, his Jake. <laughs> you're his tiny little bitch, baby, dude. I know. That's why you're wearing that diaper right now. Taking dumps into that diaper. In our Doom episode, you will learn that John Romero is actually one of the nicest people in Very gaming. sweet guy. Very sweet guy. Don't make you his bitch. Uh so <laughs> with Gabe Newell sitting around Titch the Couch, about 15 minutes into our demo, Gabe stopped us and asked what we planned on doing after we graduate. After he we answered, Gabe offered us a job on the spot to make the game in full using the Source Engine. Needless to say, we all accepted the offer and started working on Portal in July 2005. Working at Valve straight out of school certainly required some adjustment. But what a Cinderella fucking story, dog. I couldn't imagine. That was like what I dreamed of. I dreamed of like Lorne Michaels just being like, you know what you should do. Have a show on, you know, have a sketch comedy show on HBO. Just like I did with Kids in the Hall. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what they got. That actually happened to them. It like blows my mind. Well, I mean, a spoiler alert for Portal 2. They kind of just did the same thing with another team. Yeah, at pretty much. 
So one big selling point for Valve was that the team had already fully ex- executed on their concept in this initial game. So they had a big head start at least for getting the game out the gate, but there were plenty of issues involved oh, dear in God. moving what they had over to the Source Engine and making it like a what what we now know of as Portal. First of all, like you have to understand even though our cups runneth over with these like highly advanced game systems and beef PCs, as far as the eye can see, um, hell, you can run Portal on like a phone at this point. Um, the actual technology to have uh, to not only be able to like tr- just transport yourself instantly, but also to see through it in our bacular drop, you could even shoot portals through portals. Um, requires a lot of coding expertise and a lot of like real-time math kind of problem solving. Uh, The ways that they've ended up working around it is basically you shoot a portal and it like renders a smaller version of the same level just as far as like within the eye shot of the portal. Um, It like transports you within like a couple of milliseconds and there's all these little tricks to make it work. but apparently in a talk uh, with GDC, Kim Swift says that they basically hacked together this like warehouse level uh, using assets from Half-Life 2 with a shoddily hacked together, almost working version of the portal mechanics. And they were told they had to start playtesting it within that first week, which is an actual uh, huge theme that's going to come into the development of these games mm-hmm. because uh, Valve had a very interesting problem when they wanted to make Half-Life and had spent years working on it. About a couple of months before release, uh, Valve had uh, a real issue, which was, uh, turns out the game was not fun and bad. <laughs> and they desperately, desperately had to wring it into shape at the last second. And in order to avoid this problem, uh, Valve has kind of, uh, in, as part of the company DNA, uh, integrated meticulous playtesting. Yeah, playtesting not as like the end of the process. Not QA, yeah. not bug fixes, not like quality assurance. This is like, as soon as you even have an idea for a level, you like mock it up, throw it in front of someone and just like get feedback on whether or not you're down the right track. And uh, even then, individual teams are like kind of split up into cabals where like they're working on one feature or one level or one sequence and they're all testing their individual parts and then bringing them together and testing those and simple stuff like, uh, you know, being plopped down with the portal gun and understanding that the portals are transporting you within just the space you're in and it's not a portal to a different level or it's not a portal to an alternate dimension. Uh, One early example was they had a very basic mock-up of the opening room where you kind of wake up and it was a dingy warehouse and it was surrounded by force fields and people would just slam their face against the force fields uh, for minutes at a time without even trying to use the portal gun. And they were like, okay, we'll make it glass. People understand that you can't get through glass. <laughs> yeah, Kim Swift said, every time or any time we created a significant piece of content, we would bring in someone that hadn't played the game before. We'd sit them down, tell them to play the game just as they would at home, and then watch them play from beginning to end. Actually observing someone play your game gives you much more information than simply having them fill in a questionnaire after they've finished playing. 
You can clearly see when a player is having fun, is confused, happy, sad, everything. Watching them lets you monitor their moment-to-moment experience. This instant feedback was invaluable for tuning the game in addition to uncovering plenty of code bugs. This particular testing method was beneficial in a number of ways. It allowed us to be objective about new content and often give us ideas on how to fix problems. It even provided the inspiration for new puzzles, as we witnessed playtesters solving puzzles in ways that we hadn't previously considered. And it also helped them work out a smooth difficulty ramp, which I think is one of the best things Portal and Portal 2 has going for it. If folks were struggling a lot with a certain room, they could break out the puzzles and spread them out into multiple rooms, and therefore it would simplify the whole experience and teach the puzzle concepts more like inherently to the player as they move through the rooms. Such a brilliant, brilliant thing that happens in that game. Yeah, something basic, like uh, I believe in Nerbacular Drop, you just get the portal two-way portal gun from the get-go, but you know, within Portal, you get automatic portals opening. Then you can open one portal. Then they have to do a whole room where they teach you that you can enter and exit any color of portal. Like, stuff as basic as people being like, well, I can't walk through there. That's an orange portal. And, and you it, can only walk through the blue portals. I mean, like, no, that's not I think the most brilliant oh shit moments in that first game definitely have to do with understanding the physics of gravity, shooting a portal. Oh, the fling. Yeah, shooting a portal into a, a, a steep, like, off a steep cliff into a ground. Uh, into the ground, then shooting it like on a wall and falling into it and having it like thrust you across the room. And that stuff, man, that fe- felt good. <laughs> so, so good. The first time it clicked and you figured it out. And it really wasn't such a challenge either to get to the point where you're like, wow, I'm connecting physics in this game in a way that like I, if you had, you know, in, in, in most other experiences, I would it just would not have been as intuitive. And the way that it communicates all that stuff so subtly, even the fact that sometimes you walk into a room, you're like, what do I need to do? And then you can walk over to that big plaque mm-hmm. that just shows you like little pictures of different things that you, you, you know, you, you concepts you need to be able to, to apply to the room. And you go, okay. And it gives you that idea, but it's all pictures. It's all done in this very like visual way. And it's very little like prompts. Being or no oh. prompts, being like Nerbacular Drop had tons of just walls of like floating text trying to tell you. Again, it was a student game; right. they had to do what they right. were working with. None of that in these games, and that's so brilliant to not have. Like, you never feel. I mean, it's probably got to be one of the best examples of like tutorializing without giving you any direct instructions. You know, another simple solution found through playtesting was uh, the, I forget which number of test chamber it is, but. Uh, uh, players kept getting murdered by their own redirected energy balls. Mm. And so they all they had to do was just change the layout of the room so that all the player height walls were now non-portal walls. And it gave you just like that much more indication totally. that you have to shoot the portal higher up to hit stuff. Totally. Just every single thing. If you, uh, Obviously, there's built-in commentary when you get the game. Uh, and it's literally like, we did it this way and it didn't work and we play tested it and we figured out how to make it work. Well, another big thing is just that, you know, yes, the environment is 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 made very simple because of budgetary stuff, but more so through play testing is they they found that the more they zhuzhed up the environment and added little things just to like make it look more filled in and things like that, the more confused players would get. So they realized like no no no, it really has to be this very like simple sterile lab feel and mm-hmm. look and honestly if they had done that I think I would play the game and feel it and feel like it was more dated 
you know? But the fact that it is this very simple white-walled thing, you, you just can't, it, it's hard to look back and be like, wow, this feels so old, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's just such a simplicity to it. And, and, it, and it is clean enough graphically. And of course... One of the most uh, important moments of playtesting was as they had kind of finished out their gamut of initial tests and they were kind of like, all right, we got ourselves a game. Uh, They ran into an issue where playtesters would get to the end and go, oh, man, that was a great tutorial. When does the game start? Right. And it was then that they realized they needed to get a goal. They needed an antagonist. And it was that push that got us to the genetic life and disc operating system, GLaDOS. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a big part of that too, now, even before they got to the end of the game, the team was just noticing that players would just get a little restless. They just get a little like about 15, 30 minutes in because there was just nothing hooking them and pushing, propelling them forward story-wise, you know? And so in order to fix this, they pull in staff writer Eric Wolpaw and uh, Chet uh, Falizek. The two men had previously created and written the entirety of Old Man Murray, uh, a PC video game commentary and review site that was known for its humor. Did you? I was never on this site, but this is like proto games journalism online, is what it seems to have been. Oh yeah, no, it feels very much of the Sean Baby uh, kind of uh, d- yeah, Liquid Generation era of pop culture website. Like predecessor to like Penny Arcade and stuff like that too, yeah. though, right? It's like people being funny online, but also really talking very seriously about video games at the same time, or, or at least talking Listen, very we like- we all spent countless hours on Maddox's greatest website in the universe. We, we It's fair. We were all there. It's fine. We forgive ourselves. I think the thing you might under, understand Eric Wolpaul more for, though, is in 2005, he wrote on the acclaimed Double Fine game Psychonauts, again, known for its uniquely wonderful, humorous voice and everything along with it. So it really makes sense that Psychonauts DNA would be in the writing of Portal. In the GDC talk, uh, when talking about his assignment on Portal, he points to one of his uh, greatest uh, waypoints on games writing was this first person PC shooter uh, produced by Clive Barker called The Undying, (laughs) which was this like dark gothic, like demon monster slaying game where you were like ripping through a manor of some kind. But there were also dialogue cutscenes where, like, you would find a maid and she'd be like, Oi, a terrible curse I feel is on its way. And you had already, like, murdered 800 werewolves. <laughs> and, like, the disconnect between, like, the cutscenes and how your character can't be like, What the fuck are you doing here? It's a bloodbath. It's a goddamn bloodbath out there. <laughs> like, really taught him how you need to, like, keep some kind of tonal consistency Uh with the actions of the player Uh and the universe of the game and the narrative all intertwined. Well, I mean, he's amazing at that because after uh, Psychonauts, Valve hires uh, both both Eric and Chet to write on Half-Life 2. So, I mean, these dudes are like... Huge credits, big, big credits, uh, games known for their great writing. And uh, it should be noted, by the way, a little side note, due to their use of Half-Life assets in order to cut corners on cost in Portal, they knew they wanted to bring the two worlds together. And that is why we have this lore connection between stuff going on with Half-Life, Black Mesa, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff, connected to um, the world of Portal and Aperture. Essentially, Aperture is this like, 
shit show <laughs> science laboratory that's trying to compete with Black Mesa and what the you know uh, it, it explains like uh, if we are if things are happening after the combine invasion that's why like the outside world's a little bit fucked. Uh, and you know, there's little presentations, uh, when you go through the back rooms of Aperture that have like PowerPoints about like how they're trying to outbid Black Mesa. There's one fun joke. I think it's from Portal 2 that like GLaDOS was originally just like an extra pork spending add on to like a fuel de-icing program that they had gotten a contract for. <laughs> and of course the line in, uh, Jonathan Colton's ending song, mm-hmm. or maybe Black Mesa. That was a joke. <laughs> ha ha. Fat chance. Wolpaw says uh, in his GDC talk with Kim Swift that uh, writing a funny game is awful. Uh, you could write generic macho dialogue and it will be endlessly uh, generically macho every time you play it. Funny dialogue is funny once. Maybe. Uh, also agonizing is Valve's playtesting where uh, he had to watch hour after hour of people not laugh at his jokes. Yeah, yeah. Only in the interviews afterwards to be like, oh my God, that was so funny. Well, (laughs) the first Portal game too, especially, isn't necessarily like a har-har laugh. It's just, it'd be, it's just more subtle. Mm -hmm. So, and it kind of gets there as it goes, but like, it's definitely more like a a, a light chuckler, Mm -hmm. I feel like, the whole way through. It's not really like, in in, as in your face is like, Stephen Merchant literally (laughs) is in Portal 2. Um, Eric Wolpaul also had this funny anecdote. At the beginning of the Portal development process, we sat down as a group to decide what school of philosophy our game would be based on. That was followed by about 15 minutes of silence, and then someone mentioned that a lot of people like cake. Another way to keep the budget down was their use of characters. Kim Swift said, Practically speaking, we didn't have sufficient time or staffing to add any human characters, which would have required an impressive amount of animation work and scene choreography. That meant the story had to be expressed without the benefit of any visible extra characters. So... Also, she goes on to say, a week after the meeting, Eric came back with some sample dialogue he'd recorded using a text-to-speech program. It was a series of announcements that played over the newly christened relaxation vault that appears in Portal's first room. Everyone on the team liked the funny, sinister tone of the writing. And so Eric continued to write and record announcements for other chambers while still searching for the story proper. And that is how we get to this robot voice concept and also of course as i previously stated how they just initially had this concept of cake uh, in in the in the writing uh, very early on at amica insurance we know it's more than just a car or a house it's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home when you combine auto and home insurance with amica we'll help protect it all and the more you cover the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. 
So when they incorporated these dialogue bits into the game for playtesting, the players responded very positively to the uh, to both the soothing and menacing computer guide. So they decided to run with it for the entire game. So yeah, they combine Half Life with Aperture. Uh, they've got this, you know, gl- gl- uh, Glados character comes kind of out of the concept of how do we have this <laughs> lab competing with Black Mesa and this sinister computer voice. Swift said the guide now named Glados would simply talk to players throughout their experience, praising them, taunting them, and whenever possible, trying to make them feel guilty for the nonstop acts of defiance and mayhem that game players are conditioned to commit routinely in game environments. So again, also so brilliant, inherently communicating on like the gameplay experience Mm -hmm. itself, which is something that brilliant video games do, and they just also happen to do that in this one. Also, how many times now is it like, you know, you have your antagonist, whether it's Handsome Jack in the Borderlands series or uh, the narrator in um, in the Stanley Principle, the Stanley Parable, I'm sorry. Please. Or the narrator in the Stanley Parable is constantly yes. commenting on your activity. Totally. It's such a brilliant workaround and a great use of resources. And Holden, here's a little thing about uh, Gladys's origin that I think you'll appreciate. Um, Wolpa has said that one of the big influences for this idea of a rampant AI that uh, is kind of working with these infinite number of testing subjects is a novel called Destination Void by American author Frank Herbert Hell Rude yeah. Duner. What's up, He's Rude Duner? He's a fucking Rude Duner. rise up. April hit it. <laughs> That's not, it's not a I'm just combining song. them. I'm combining all the best things. It's like Portal, but in the podcast. I'm just combining everything together. I just want to say Destination Void is a series of novels about a team of uh, clones that are unaware that their project to uh, create an artificial intelligence is actually dooming themselves because six previous journeys have all resulted in rampant AIs killing everyone on board. Nice. Yeah, another brilliant thing about Gladys is that they stated their goal was to have the player know the game's final boss better than any final boss they'd fought in other games by the end of the whole experience. Swift said, even though you literally break her to pieces at the end, the entire game is a long process of tearing her down. She becomes increasingly more vitriolic and desperate as the player progresses. What started out as a seemingly burdensome constraint, a total lack of human NPCs, eventually turned into one of the strongest parts of the game. Navigating the environment is Portal's primary gameplay challenge. In effect, the environment is your enemy. Gladys' disembodied omnipresence gives that enemy a voice and personality. And it really, they do such a good job, too, I think, of giving you that, like, really fulfilling moment when you finally meet her Mm -hmm. in the not-flesh in the in the gears and metal like it, it it really is so cool to find they like and and she really is this like giant imposing t- scary robot lady and, yeah. and it like it works really really well and you never see her the entire game until that very end moment and that is so so fun for sure they wanted a final boss battle and for a while they struggled with this because they were like well what's the boss of a puzzle game yeah it has to be a big fancy puzzle but they also needed narratively for it to be a final conclusion. So they kind of ran into this issue where 
if you're if there's a timer going off and you're trying to solve a stressful puzzle, you're not listening to anything that GLaDOS is saying and people would get frustrated and kind of just give up. Uh, then they realized they had to use a much simpler puzzle, something that just rewarded you for all the skills that you had picked up along the way. Mm -hmm. Plus, um, it created this great opportunity with the companion cube level, which is a famous, uh, yeah. you know, a million uh, T-shirts and uh, little desk toys were built out of this because they wanted one level where everything was done with a single box. You needed to climb. You needed to hit buttons. You needed to do all like anything you can do with a box. You do it with one box and one level. Great idea, but players kept leaving the box behind or they kept dumping it in a pool of lava or not lava, the goo, yeah, the evil goo. that sewage shit. Yeah, and so they kept trying to iterate and iterate and just reduce the amount of opportunities that you could leave it behind until finally they just put a couple of little pink hearts on it and added dialogue with Gladys saying, this is your only friend. And in a game as devoid of human touch as Portal, players immediately glommed onto this inanimate cube. Mm -hmm. And uh, it created one of the most memorable moments totally. where you had to throw it in the incinerator uh, with GLaDOS giving that great burn that was like, wow, you did that faster than anyone else in our testing. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So Which good. The incinerator also trained uh, players to for the final mechanic mm -hmm. in the showdown where you throw the cores in the incinerator and it just finally gave you this like sense of revenge. Yes. You're like, this one's for QB yes. when all is said and done. Absolutely. Uh, of course, we, we got to talk about Ella McLean if we're going to be talking about Gladys so much. Eric Wopal said, when we were still fishing around for the turret voice, Ellen did a sultry version. It didn't work for the turrets, but we liked it a lot, and so a slightly modified version of that became the model for Gladys's final incarnation. And again, I think I said it earlier, but she also does the voices for the turrets. So she's really the voice of the whole game. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's not another voice in the game, and I think that works really well, too, for the game as a whole, that, like, you only, like, in, in its sterility and everything like that is even the, you know, the turrets, it's the same vocal actor doing all of it, and she just kills it. I think she takes it an extra step further in Portal 2 with the amount of, you know, because what the fun of Portal 2 is now she fucking hates you, mm -hmm. you know, she's so resentful of you, and, like, that relationship is so well established from the first game, and they just take it further and further and further. One other character that is uh, never seen in Portal 1 that made a massive impact on the game's perception is, of course, D good old Doug Ratman. Uh, his little rat man dens that you discover in the back rooms throughout the initial game. Yes. I feel like maybe one, maybe one of the first big like Five Nights at Freddy's style game mysteries mm. that just lit people's heads on fire. Everybody had their fan theories. Everybody kept looking for this character. He never existed. Yeah, because there were like optional spaces mm -hmm. you could find that didn't even have anything to do with solving the puzzle. That was just like a weird one of his little rooms that just the had cake is a lie. The cake is a lie. The cake is a lie. That is so brilliantly rolled out too. Playing it again and like, uh, like. It's still kind of incredible how, like, they just do not throw that in your face as, like, uh, here's a meme. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so subtly done in this way that is that's exactly what makes, that's something that is perfect for the internet taking it and running with it, mm -hmm. you know? Because there is that, like, mystery to it and that slow rollout of the concept of. Just the slightest suggestion that there's something so much deeper happening right. than what you see beyond the surface 
Uh, everybody points to the red, the broken red phone in GLaDOS's chamber. Like there's just these tiny little slivers of environmental storytelling that just take things to a whole new level. And uh, of course, the protagonist, Chell, is voiced by Alicia Glidewell, whose face and body structure were also used. Before this, she did a video game. Uh, she did video game gigs such as the Sly Cooper sequel, and she did the mocap for all the female characters in The Matrix Online. Just kind of a, one of those actors that that uh, just got, got lucky with this gig for sure uh, uh, and got in there. Um, so yeah, uh, a couple more things before we get into the sequel. Um, uh, going back to some of the tech, some of the programming, it was uh, they had to go way harder on the portal tech than they had, of course, in Narbacular Drop, uh, and that included allowing for objects to pass through the portals as well as the player characters. Swift said, basically, we had to tell the source physics system to make a temporary hole on only one side of a wall, and that everything behind the portal is connected to geometry in another part of the map. Getting this to work and optimizing the solutions to run in real time was a major challenge. And another weird hurdle to overcome was being able to have a cube sit halfway into a portal and having it be able to collide with itself. Just one of those weird like things that I don't. I never even <laughs> did once in the game, but they just had to make sure that if you were to do that, like in a corner of a room, that it would work. You know. Well, you know, I mean, to this day, people talk about the portal paradox where like if a portal is on a moving platform and it smushes down on something, will it emerge with the velocity mm. of the portal or will it just ploop, like just turn out yeah. the side? And people have legit physics like arguments about this. <laughs> Obviously, it can't be done in engine. It actually breaks the game if you try and do it, even with hacks. But uh it's it, it's a moot point. It's fictional. Yeah. They, they don't exist. There's no mathematical precedent for what a portal can or can't do because it's a fucking make up And another challenge was quickly rendering three lines of sight once two portals popped into the room. They managed to do this by implementing a stencil buffer drawing method, which I'll never understand, <laughs> which allowed them to render an infinitely deep number of portals and allowed for infinite hallways that also looked super impressive. To be fair... According to another GDC talk, it's actually a maximum of nine inversions. If you look down a portal through a portal, when you see that infinite hallway, you only get nine proje portal projections afterwards. The game's like, you get it. <laughs> now, uh, again, briefly before we get to Portal 2, I just want to note the orange box really only exists because of Portal. The game, it's on the shorter side, and it's a totally new, unique experience, kind of challenging to market this on the uh, outset. And so in order to do that, they realized, why don't we just lump it in with already existing Half-Life 2, the Half-Life episodes, and Team Fortress 2. We'll call it the Orange Box. It's released in late 2007, and it was met with heavy critical and player acclaim. Well, it's, it's a little more complicated than that because Valve had already bumped up against trying to sell physical copies mm. of Half-Life Episode 1. Ah. And uh, while they were doing great with digital sales, it was uh, brick and mortar that, like, you know, why would a place like GameStop or Electronics Boutique give this cheaper chapter of a game the same amount of shelf life as a full release that would earn them a much bigger profit. And so they found themselves with these three products, Portal, maybe a $20 purchase on its own, mm -hmm. Team Fortress 2, multiplayer only, maybe a $20 purchase on its own, and Half-Life Episode 2, another single chapter, 
maybe a $20 purchase on its own. So like, how do we convince brick and mortar stores to sh- hold onto this thing as a $60 product? And the answer for the orange box just like kind of made itself like there was no other real way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it really was like everybody. I just remember always was so blown away at how much of a fucking deal it was mm-hmm. to pick up that thing and take it home and have, I mean, just how many hours of amazing, like immaculate gameplay. And I never even fucked with Team Portraits 2. You didn't even, I didn't even need that in the box. We didn't have like online capability, I don't yeah. think, uh, on the Xbox we played it on. So it's just like, even without that, it was like, wow, I can't believe there's this much game in this one disc. This is crazy. So, yeah, of course, it all blows up. The cake is a lie thing becomes this massive meme online. Wolpaul said, we had no idea those things were going to blow up like they did. They, they were actually uh, banking on a thing no one gave a shit about, a giant hoop that slowly rolls in a frame at the very end of the game. Wolpaul said, we all loved that. It was Hoopy the Hoop. <laughs> we thought we should have a warehouse full of Hoopy t-shirts and mugs and posters. We would watch that hoop roll by over and over again. That was the part of the game we were most proud of, and no Nobody cared. <laughs> but the cake thing blew up. The game itself blew up and caused this huge fervor and hype around the potential for a sequel. And man, did that sequel pay off. Let's get into it. Portal 2. Of course, you know, Chell defeats GLaDOS, escapes the lab, but then she gets yanked back in by a mysterious figure. Well, and that, this, they added that ending yes. after Portal 2 had already been kind of uh, in the works for a while. Ah. That was like an update they did after the fact. The original ending is you're just lying there in the parking lot. Ah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah, they opened the door for a sequel, and work started pretty much right away on that sequel. Something that would be a standalone game this time around. Something that would be longer in order to be a standalone game this time around. And this, of course, was helped by the enthusiasm of developers at Valve, many of whom wanted to be involved in the sequel. So the team size, it goes from like eight people to somewhere between 30 and 40. And initially, they actually considered introducing an entirely new puzzle mechanic. This is blows my mind. Oh, this is amazing. They were going to call it Portal 2, mm-hmm. but it was like, what if Portal 2 isn't about portals at all? Well, no, F-Stop is a great idea. You're talking about the F-Stop project. Yeah. There's footage of this that leaked out where uh, you're on this, like, island, uh, this tropical island. You try and, like, walk a little, and the walls close in around you. The ocean drains, and it turns out you're still at Aperture. It was originally supposed to be a prequel, kind of set in the 1950s. Well, that um, a lot in. of that was integrated into the deeper levels of uh, Portal 2. Um, and it all was based on this camera. F-stop is a term in photography. Uh, I believe that's shutter speed. I'm not sure. Um, where you uh, could take photos of objects and then reposition them in the world and even resize them depending on the camera's perspective, your in-game camera perspective. Uh, there have been multiple attempts to uh, kind of recreate this mechanic. Uh, there's a lot of fan projects. Turns out when you license uh, the source engine for something, you can actually get a- access to a lot of like decrepit files that were still in there. The game Super Liminal basically took it and ran and people claim that like they have insider knowledge because there are segments from F-Stop that shouldn't have been known to the public that are in Super Liminal. Mm. But as you said, they started playtesting, and one of the first things people did when they sat down for this cool new sequel to Portal was, hey, where's the portals? And where's the Gladys? 
That was the other thing. Gladys was such a beloved character. They were like, I need more. I want more Aperture Lab. I want this character back. And I want these portals. Well, there was, uh, they brought in Gladys, but they wanted a new protagonist who went by the code name Mel, mm. who was kind of uh, just basically a blonde woman who also had the fall shoes and all that stuff. But then playtesters were like, how come she don't recognize me? So they were like, all right, it's Shell again somehow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I, it, hey, I, I love it. I think it's perfect. And, you know, I think the cool twist of adding labs from the 50s and the 80s along the way was such a cool way to, like, expand on the concept. They brought in a National Lampoon and Cracked writer Jay Pinkerton uh, and added him to the writing, the already established writing team. This game features 13,000 lines of dialogue, quite a lot. Um, they also added a full-on, very impressive co-op mode that I talked about earlier, added this whole other challenge, and this time around, they also added these fantastic new characters on top of Gladys and Chell. Wheatley is played by Stephen Merchant, uh, a seemingly helper robot that, uh, well, you know, maybe things don't work out so well uh, with him eventually. He's not a moron. I don't care what anyone says. He's not. Would a moron be able to punch you down into a pit like that? <laughs> That's a very good point. There's also Cave Johnson, Aperture's founder, voiced by J.K. Simmons. These are like amazing voice acting choices that really. And this is where the combustible lemons merchandise just started flooding the market yes yes totally it, it really the the steven merchant fucking does so much heavy lifting in this game he's so funny in this game and i'm so charmed by him they apparently wrote it it with his voice in mind never thinking they'd actually get him and uh, eventually made that happen so there's a lot of interesting steps that got us to wheatley supposedly this being the bunch of 2000s Pacific Northwest nerds, they were huge fans of the It crowd and desperately wanted Richard Ayoade mm. to be the original voice of Wheatley. Um, and uh, Ayoade was actually directing his like first indie film at the time and couldn't do it. They were also huge fans of the original British Office uh, extras, as well as the Ricky, Ricky Gervais show, which if you that was like huge podcast time waster during the early days of podcasting. Yes. Carl Pilkington. I love you, man. Part it like one of the first times I was like, I was like laughing out loud on the subway, like <laughs> embarrassed. Like that was like the first podcast that did that to me. Back when Ricky Gervais was not a weirdly combative little guy. Right. Um, uh, and even then the original plan for the game was to have GLaDOS in the center of this hub world where you had to put her back together from these disparate cores. Uh, there was the space core, the angry core, kind of uh, as you play it out through the final battle, like you kind of get a glimpse of them. Uh, Wolpaw talks about his love for a character they called the Morgan Freeman core, who is like this wise old master who claimed to like be at peace with the universe. But then it turns out like he really just had spent hundreds of years in a 20 foot by 20 foot space. And as soon as he left that space with you, he was like, oh, what the hell? This is crazy. <laughs> um, but eventually they reached the decision that rather than just kind of get to know a couple of these six cores, it was it meant more that you really spent a lot of time with a single core. And the moron core, Wheatley, was the one that they had the most fun with. Yeah. Another fun thing that Wolpaw said about the writing is uh, you mentioned how 
GLaDOS is so much angrier at you, you know, because you murdered her. Right. And she starts making tons of comments about your weight. And all of those were uh, because Wolpa was apparently a chubby kid. And whenever he would visit his grandma, she would leave similarly scathing, passive aggressive remarks at him every time he came over to visit. Dude, also one of the things that made me laugh was like, apparently in playtesting, they actually realized like, Playtesters are already getting upset. They like had to pull back a little bit on the shitty, like passive aggressive. Like, the boy Ellen McLean said, like, this is kind of mean. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they apparently had to like t- tone it down a little bit because they were so aggressive with that stuff. But it's, it's, um, I don't even know. I mean, the puzzles and stuff in this one, I mean, they add the, the, uh, the bridges, those like light bridges mm-hmm. that add this incredible new layer to the puzzling. Um, uh, obviously, we already talked about the co op. I mean, having two portal guns to work with, there were some puzzles in that run that are like so mind bending and so great, you know? But I think like really they nail the thing that the first game does that I, I really think is, is the most important thing. You know, they just make the player feel brilliant. And, uh, you know, they give you just enough puzzle, just enough, uh, you know, challenge to then when you solve it, feel like you're the smartest person on the planet. And they really, really continue that in the second one and add all these fascinating uh, layers with these different mechanics and stuff and the redirection cubes that can redirect lasers and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And um, it's kind of an amazing feat because really it is such a simple concept and for portal two to expand on it and really turn it into like a much more what people consider a full length video game experience is like such a challenging process and really is helped by the power of JK Simmons, Stephen Merchant, these people that that really expand on the whole experience and bring us, you know, to a, a fuller gameplay experience. Hilariously enough, the uh, connection or GLaDOS's origin, uh, as revealed in the game, uh, really basically boiled down to the fact that they had this idea for Cave Johnson to bounce off this, like, uh, 1950s style, whatever you say, Mr. Secretary. And But she didn't have that many lines, so they were like, well, we already have Ellen in the booth. Why don't we just have her do it? At which point they were like, wait a minute. If Ellen's this voice and GLaDOS, <gasps> origin story. And yeah. they put together that whole, like, Carolyn connection. There's also the fact that they did add new mechanics. Uh, F-stop didn't pan out, but they added the repulsion gel, yep. the acceleration gel, and the, uh, the conversion gel, which was a uh, completely ripped from another student game from DigiPen called Tag, The Power of Paint. Uh, If Narbacular Drop was created in 2005, uh, Power of Paint was uh, released in 2008, and Valve basically just did the exact same thing that they did with Narbacular and said, hey, this is great. We're putting this in, (laughs) make it in source, which is fantastic. Uh, A lot of uh, programmers talked about how they struggled with the fluid and physics simulation, that nice gooey glob effect that uh, really was a struggle to make sure that it ran on PC, Xbox, and PlayStation all at the same time. Uh, That took a lot of like outside the box math to get to work right. But uh, to this day, a lot of the people that worked on Tag Power of the Paint uh, still work for Valve. So like, you know, once you're in, 
once you're like part of the crew, they take good care of you. And they experiment with a lot of stuff. There was some, there was one thing, the new puzzle mechanic, they had uh, the ability to walk on walls mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then they, they were just like, we can't make this. We can't integrate, you know? So they did have to like try and fail with different puzzle mechanics. But the goo stayed. The goo stayed. Um, I have one final quote, Jake, and that's it. Do you have any other factoids on Portal 2 before we get out of here? I mean, the one thing I'll state is just like, it was, I again, I've never seen a, a stronger, more well-received video game release in my entire life. It was really spectacular when it happened. Another mechanic that didn't quite make the cut, or kind of did in a way, was the idea of suction being transferred through portals as is shown in the ending with the moon. Mm. They just really couldn't think of as many easily communicable puzzle elements that players could get immediately. So they dropped that, um, but saved it for the ending. Um, There was also supposedly tons of hidden endings where anytime you died in a very easy, like dumb way, they would have given you full credits and an ending song unique to that ending. Uh, Woolpot talks about how there was one where like you, if you found a way to die within the first two minutes, credits would roll and there'd be a Jonathan Colton song about how like, wasn't that crazy? You'd lift for two minutes. <laughs> you talk to that thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Love it. But eventually the actual... Uh, work of that, of creating every unique, because as soon as a player dies but doesn't get a funny, unique ending, it would break the mechanics, so they had to cut that. Ah, gotcha. Valve has gone back to the well a couple of times. Uh, There's, you know, tie-ins with Team Fortress 2. Uh Anytime Valve releases a new piece of hardware, there's, uh, you get the uh, Aperture Lab uh, kind of little talk-through yeah, video game VR, when you buy a Vive. The VR experience stuff is really, really fun. That that Aperture Lab shit is, and, and You have a Steam hilarious. Deck, right? Didn't you play, uh, av- did you end up playing Aperture Desk, Joe? I do not have uh, a Steam Deck. I have, a, um, no, I ended up playing, well, I played the VR stuff because mm-hmm. I have um, whatever, the meta, I don't even know what you call it anymore. The Metatron, uh, whatever, the, the, uh, Oculus. The Quest, yeah, yeah. Quest, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I super, super duper love every time they return to Aperture. It's always fucking hilarious and great. Like, their their writing teams are so brilliant. And of course, uh, Ellen McClain lent her GLaDOS voice to the voice of the computer in my favorite movie ever, Pacific Rim. Nice. And my not favorite movie ever, the sequel, yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, well, here's my final quote from Eric Wolpaw about comedy and video games. Um, And then I think we're going to call it for Portal. Brilliant. Go play it. You'll love it just like you did the first time. I, 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 you know. And that's so great about what sucks you in on it is the first game is so quick. So you can play through that. And then if you're fiending for more, hey, check it out. There's an entire other whole gameplay experience um, that, uh, you know, just comes right on the heels of it perfectly. Eric Wolpaul said, I think traditionally comedy games, for whatever reason, don't do that well. We'll see how Portal does, but if I was about to gamble $20 million of my own money, I'd probably make a game about combat marines in Dubai or something as well. But having that said that, people like comedy. It's just hard to pull off. So if you can pull it off well, people respond to it and they like it, right? There's no shortage of comedy in every other medium. Well, ballet maybe doesn't have comedy. I don't know. But this stuff of my diet includes a lot of comedy and it's respected stuff across a lot of mediums. So I'd really like to make a really credible comedy game. People seem to be skipping straight to the pure art and yet nobody's made the caddy shack in games yet, right? So I'm like, 
whoa, 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 let's put on the brakes. Let's make Caddyshack. And then we can make Anna Karenina or whatever. There's still this whole untapped area of legitimately you can be proud of comedy. Like, this is not embarrassing. It's not funny for a game. It's legitimately pretty funny stuff. I'm not saying we necessarily got there, but I'd love to eventually get there. And I do think they got there, especially with Portal 2. And it really did open the doors for a lot more comedy in video games and I think we have gotten a lot more of that it's still not as predominant as you know dudes with big guns <laughs> blowing each other's heads off and blowing each other which is weird yeah that well I that's a very separate for yesterday you gotta you gotta go on patreon and, and go jump through some hoops to get that one but yes <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's so true. I think that this really did pave the way for incredible comedy and games. You already mentioned how it paved the way for uh, uh, so many uh, brilliant 3D puzzlers. These are some of my favorite games of all time. Witness is one of my favorite games of all time. So is Portal. So glad we got to do this episode today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for our Portal episode. Uh, If you'd like to support us further, check us out on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We have weekly bonus episodes for $5 a month, ad-free episodes from these main feed episodes available to you as well. Uh, and at $15 a month, you can join us every Sunday for our Sunday study session. This last Sunday, we actually did the special thing we do once every few months or so. We did our production meeting, and you get to sit in and you get to be a part of uh, picking the episodes that we run with uh, for for the next few months, and it's always a great time. And uh, I I always wondered how well it would work. And hey, we've been doing it for a couple years now; it's working that well. So come join us for that. Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew. Check me out on Twitch Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Again, that's Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I'm streaming all throughout the week, and it's always good to see you guys there. Um, check out all. Um, I suggest the Baggage Watch Along. That's on Monday night. Nights at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, we watch a really insane reality sh- uh, com- uh, dating show called Baggage. Uh, I'll 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 let you fill in the rest. Uh, all right, Jake. Well, me on Twitter at Best Jake Young on Instagram at Best Jake Young, and hey, I'm also on Twitch. Go to Twitch.tv/PuppetJared. That's my little VTuber avatar. And every Thursday at 7 p.m. is the Cartoon Dumpster, a rollicking, insanity-inducing watch-along of some of the strangest cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Uh, If you like the show, you're definitely going to like that stream. So please drop by, say hi, and uh, let them know you came from Whizbrew. All right. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on cake is a lion. Oh, shit. Do we have to play the song? I think we have to play the song. April, can you play the ending song to Portal? This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us Except the ones who are dead But there's no sense crying over every mistake You just keep on trying till you run out of cake And the science gets done And you make a neat plan For the people who are still alive This show is made possible by listeners like you Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 
At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.